Welcome back to this week's edition of the Rock and Roll Ghost Podcast. This week we are, uh, to say beyond thrilled is putting it mildly to have uh, Walter Hill, legendary filmmaker, on the show. Walter is um, promoting his newest movie, Dead for a Dollar, which is very good. It's uh, on video, on demand. Uh, might still be in some theaters. I'm not quite sure. Uh, what, what do you know about that, Walter? And first, thank you for ha- being on the show. I don't know. I know that it was a very limited release with yeah. uh, no advertising. So uh, it was the general hope if you were driving by the theater and saw the marquee, you might stop and go in. <laughs> but uh, it uh, it is is basically it was decided that the best financial uh, uh, approach to getting the movie seen was the video on demand. Yeah, we all well, live I, in a very different world now. I mean, oh, the yeah. one that I, you know, worked in for years and years and years. We we used to go out in two thousand theaters, and now just to get into a theater, if you're especially if you're an independent film, uh, is a real. It, that in itself is an achievement. Yeah. Well, I was very happy when I, I it kind of like all of a sudden came out of nowhere for me that, you know, Dead for a Dollar was coming out. I think when the trailer got dropped is when I first heard about it. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a, number one, it was great that you were, you had another film coming out, but you know, the cast you assembled is absolutely fantastic. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how casting went about? Well, I, I, look, when you make a Western, you do have uh, most of the things are stacked against you. The financiers don't usually want anything to do with them. Um, it's just hard to get them made. But there's the ace in the hole is the actors love to work in them. You know they they like them. They uh, for the obvious reasons I suppose. Um, but and and deep down inside. Uh, I remember talking to Jeff Bridges about this when we were getting ready to do Wild Bill. It's it's a way of measuring yourself against so many of the great actors of the past. Uh, you know, when you play a lead in the Western, you've got to stand up to Jimmy Stewart and Gary Cooper and Joel McRae and obviously John Wayne and and others. So. Uh, so uh, this particular cast, I, uh, it's kind of an involved story. I'm not sure you want to hear all of it, but I'll be happy tell, to tell, tell it. However, however much of it you feel like telling. Well, it started out, uh, I had the job of uh, writing a Western. That, and uh, I decided I was going to write a rather different screenplay. I happened to be reading, but I had no goddamn idea what I was going to do. And, uh, well, vaguely I did, but I was reading uh, a history of outlawry in uh, the Oklahoma territories. Um, And I came across, excuse me, references to a man named Chris Madsen, who I read a bit about. Madsen was born in Denmark. He served in the Danish army. He then served in the French Foreign Legion. He then 
took a boat to America. He went west. He joined the American Army. He was a scout for the Army. And he drifted into law enforcement. He worked as a sheriff and a mar town marshal kind of thing, and then became a bounty, bounty man. And he had a long and uh, uh, really uh, adventure-filled, I guess we would say, career, uh, an honorable career. He was an honest man. And I thought when I was reading about it, that how, you know, he had not become famous like so many of the Western legends had, and it seemed a bit wrong, but what I really liked was the idea of presenting your bounty hunter, presenting a bounty hunter as an immigrant, as someone uh, who did not simply represent the Anglo tradition of American history, but uh, the assumption that the people had been there for a very long time. And of course, the truth is the West was populated to a great degree by immigrants. It wasn't really such a unique thing, but it's, uh, it's not often demonstrated in movies. Uh, so anyway, once that, I thought, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. And I wanna, uh, I didn't wanna do Chris Madsen. He had a very specific uh, uh, history and I didn't think I could do justice to it, but I wanted, I wanted that idea of the European immigrant and bringing a European sensibility to the uh, to the kind of eponymous action hero, Western hero. And I then thought, uh, and it's all really, these things happen so quickly inside your head once you, once the light bulb goes on. The, uh, I wanted uh, an opponent, an antagonist that was about the same age, but very American and, and typified a lot of uh, American Western ideas. Um, so I began to write, and then once you, you, you then uh, begin to build your narrative, but it always starts with the characters. And uh, I again fell back on the Homeric, um, the idea that a man of power hires a mercenary to retrieve a presumably abducted woman, but that turns out not to be true. Um, this is a trope that's been used many times since Homer, but uh, I guess we should say best by Homer, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I decided to borrow it one more time. Um, it's, it's really kind of the basis of Streets of Fire too. I mean, that was, uh, we leaned on the Homeric. Anyway, um, uh, but then as I began to build the narrative, I didn't want to just do something kind of frozen in amber and uh, a salute to Westerns and that kind of thing. I wanted some contemporary issues. So I decided to uh, deal with race and the kind of proto-feminist politics. 
uh, to a degree, the tempered by the idea that I wasn't going to uh, write a contemporary dialogue on it. I didn't want a polemic. I was going to keep the debate within the uh, confines of the year 1897, make it true to that. I thought that was true to the characters and true to the audience. Um, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I, it, it all came together very quickly. I, uh, I endlessly rewrite, but I actually got my draft not, not too long a time, I think six weeks or something. And I called Christoph. I knew Christoph. He and I were friendly. And uh, I, well, I talked to his uh, agent who was over here at the house. And uh, he said, yeah, let's send it to Christoph. I told him about it. And uh, Christoph called back a day later and said, yeah, when do we, you know, I like it. I'd like to do it. <laughs> and uh, I sent it to Willem. And I, I had always had Willem in mind. Yeah, uh, and I said, and Willem and I are old friends. Yeah, you know, we've, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, I very much admire him. He's he's put together a wonderful career, and uh, Willem now lives outside of Rome. Anyway, he called me and said, <laughs> he said he didn't want any he didn't want any other actor to play the part, so that <laughs> so he'd do it and. Uh, then the, the, the trick became the, the rest of the cast fell into place very, very smartly. Uh, but uh, we had a wonderful casting director. Uh, but the, the, the last piece of the puzzle was Rachel, the character of Rachel, who turned out to be Rachel Brosnahan. But yeah. And uh, the casting director said to me, uh, we had had several false starts in different directions. And uh, she suggested Rachel to me. And I said, God, I think we could get her. She's, you know, right. mighty hot at the moment. And uh, I wonder what, and she's no, she'll be free at that time. And uh, she said, I'll get a fast answer. And Sent, sent it to Rachel, and uh, I think Rachel, within a day or two, said that she'd like to talk to me. I called Rachel up. We had a long chat. I think she was driving someplace while we were talking, and yeah. uh, uh, she agreed to do the movie. And uh, I think there's no question that she, her performance is, is um uh, a director's dream as far as that goes and I think she uh, elevates the movie you know yeah. she gets it beyond uh, the usual tropes of the western as they now say yeah I think she um, brings a modern the modern uh, ideal that you were kind of not wanting to be specific about in the script, but basically in her performance, I think it, it brings it out uh, in reality. Well, it was a difficult part to play. I told her before we started, I said, look, you know, most of the characters here, I think you're gonna have a long 
career, very successful career. Most of the characters you will play will be people looking for love. This character is not looking for love. She's looking for respect. And the danger of that, I mean, which is not one of the great ideas of Western man or something, but, uh, but the danger of it is it becomes brittle and uh, too cold and that the audience doesn't respond to the, to the nature of the character. So, but I, I, I always believed that her passage within the film and what she has to go through um, would win the audience over, uh, despite the fact that it's not a romantic part. Right. Uh, um, and I think uh, by the end of the movie, you know, the um, we all love her. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's it's definitely um, definitely an interesting role. I, I talked to um, Warren Burke recently. And who I just thought was uh, kind of a revelation as as Poe, um, he said that he got to shadow you a little bit uh, while you were directing. What can you say about Warren? Well, uh, number one, I had a lot of fun with him. He, he's 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 got a great sense of humor, and uh, he uh, we just got along very well, and. Um, Warren has, in my opinion, probably the hardest part in the movie to play when you when you approach it as an actor. He's got to be one thing to the army. Yep, yeah, that's right. He's got to be uh, in this guarded relationship where he doesn't express his true personality with his assignment partner, Max Borland, Christoph. Uh, He's uh, another, and when he's with his estranged but old buddy, Elijah, he has a, a different personality, brother to brother. And so he's got to play all of those colors uh, within, you know, 100 minutes of drama. And uh, I thought he pulled it off very, very well. Yeah. Uh, each character hopefully he has a few surprises. Uh, 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 Willem's character uh, has a bit of, I mean, he's a scoundrel, but, but he, uh, he does have his own particular code, which he does not violate yeah. and lives up to. Uh, Max is, very unpredictable in his opinions. He's very, you know, he keeps it very much within, but, uh, uh, and he's, his enigmatic nature uh, hides the good person. And uh, uh, he, and, you know, he's one of those who finally will always do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and even if it, <coughs> in his case, his question is, does he violate his professional code? He was hired to do something. Uh, should he 
now that he knows the truth, should he continue uh, to persist in that or should he alter his course? Um, so they all have their dilemmas and question marks. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love that Willem's character is somebody that really truly tried to not get into it with, with Borland. Um, but fate interceded by you know getting mixed up in uh Benjamin Bratt's uh, uh Tobias to Tibius. What was I I'm sorry, I'm blanking on Tiberium. Tiberium, okay, yeah. Um his character's business forcing his hand to come after Max. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, which I thought yeah. was really interesting. Benjamin Bratt, uh, he was another one. He was my first choice for the part. Uh, I'd seen him work over the years, uh, right back from the old uh, Law and Order days, but, but uh, since, and uh, I thought he was, uh, he did a, a really good job. The character doesn't have a lot of scenes, but uh, he has enormous presence in this story. Uh, I told him that he had the Mae West part, and uh, <laughs> and uh, May had a May had a rule that any scene that she wasn't in, they had to be talking about her, and. Uh -huh. um, uh, most of the most of the scenes that that Ben that Tiberio is not in, they they're talking about it. You know, yeah, he's he's the great force out there. Yeah, yeah, because it's the idea that the, even the local police who maybe don't want to uh, do the wrong thing, but they know they have to deal with with him if they if they don't follow what he wants. You know, there's it's, it's that idea that lingering villainy. Uh, that he's going to catch up to them no matter what. Yeah, and I wanted to present the the constabulary there as having a, not just being the kind of typical corrupt uh, uh, idea, but that uh, they had a they do make a tragic mistake, but they do uh, uh, the. The chief magistrate does have a sense of honor and he does the right thing in the end. In the end, yeah. Well, I, I don't have a, a lot more time with you, but I did want to ask you. I mean, I could, I honestly, I could sit here for probably pepper you with questions about your films for hours because I grew up seeing almost every one of your films in a theater uh, and knowing that if your name was on it, I was gonna, I was gonna see something at the very least interesting. And, uh, but I just have two questions related to your, your older films. One is you made Johnny Handsome. You set it in New Orleans. One of my favorite films of all time. I think I bought it on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. Um, you know, I just want to kind of ask with regards to, to Mickey Rourke, what, what are the things you remember about working with him? But I liked Mickey. I liked Mickey. We got along. I, I was told that he was a nightmare to work with before right. we, uh, and that did not turn out to be true. You get told these things, uh, uh, and and quite often they just don't turn out to be accurate. I was told that about David Carradine when I was doing 
before I did the Long Riders, and mm -hmm. I was told that about Stallone before I did Bullet to the Head, and uh, uh, Mickey. Mickey is uh, he's a very sensitive personality, kind of within this real tough street guy, and he's very conflicted within. I thought he was. I thought he did a marvelous job in uh, uh, Johnny Hanson. I was very pleased he uh, uh, with his performance. Um, he 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 was there for the whole. I've, I've run into him. We talked about doing another movie a few years ago, yeah. and uh, he. He, he did seem to be changed a bit. I don't mean just physically, but uh, he was warier and uh, uh, kind of deeply suspicious about the, the surrounding situations. I don't know. I mean, I think it's fair to say that he has personal demons. Uh, yeah. I, like him. I, I like him very much. I think he's very talented guy. I'm sorry that we don't see him more often. Yeah. And I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to do another movie with him. Well, hopefully, maybe that, that could actually still happen. Um, well, I, before I get my last question, I want to say that I was able to see your first film, Hard Times, in, a, in an actual movie theater five years ago. The director, uh, a friend of mine, Joe Carnahan, came through town and did a... Um, a mini movie fest where hard times was one of the films that he had had them screen. And I got to say, it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I loved hard times very much. And it, it was just a cool setup and it was a pretty awesome first feature. So I wanted to, I, I wanted to say that because, you know, now from the very beginning, I've loved your work, I can say. Uh, but <laughs> But the other oh, bless, question, bless you. That's, yeah, the it was just great to be able to see a, a, a movie like that on film. But the last question I have involves uh, extreme prejudice, where where you talk you've talked in the past about ha having uh, about almost all your movies are essentially westerns. I don't think anything any modern film you made was more western seeming than Extreme Prejudice. And what I love about Extreme Prejudice, not only is, is Nick great and, and Powers is awesome, uh, who I'm sad is no longer, he's no longer with us. But you also have this thing, you also have this great thing where if you look at it as a kid growing up in the 80s, it's a comment in a, in a subtle way about the Iran-Contra uh, situation at the same time. And, and the, the drugs for money, you know, and, or guns and all that stuff. And it's set in what is, you set it in Mexico, which, you know, pretty much at that time was still kind of the Wild West uh, in a lot of ways. It maybe still is. What what do you remember about making that? And, and um, I, I know you mentioned before that you don't think many people understood that film. Oh, uh, did I say that? I, I believe uh, so. I, th I think it was a, a, a movie you said nobody seemed to get. Well, I guess there's a kind of truth to that, but that's probably my fault. Uh, uh, I'm the one that made it. I, again, quite liked it. Um, I love it. I love it. I thought both Nick and Powers were fabulous in it. Uh, the, uh, 
I think the movie was was darker than somehow it just didn't catch the wave. Uh, uh, it wasn't the right moment for it. It wasn't the right. Uh, it was not understood in a political context, and I don't think it was a deeply political movie. But it it did touch upon certain mm -hmm. uh, certain absolutely right the Iran Contra uh, situation um, and and paramilitary involvements. Um, the uh, uh, there was also, you know, one of the things that it has really nothing to do with the movies, but it has to do with their fate, is when studios change hands, they often get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And we 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 went through a changing of the guard uh, during that that post-production period. So I think that was part, that happened on Home Streets of Fire too. That was, yeah. Uh, suddenly you have a, an administration that does not identify with that part of the product and has no particular interest in seeing it succeed. So there's that to be said, but I don't want to make excuses. I thought, uh, I thought we made a, a good movie. It didn't find an audience uh, domestically did okay in Europe. Didn't do great, but it did all right, and yeah. uh, uh, it got much, much better reviews in Europe than it did here. Yeah, it, it was not very well. Reviewed. You know, and and the thing, you know, I just realized the thing you said that for because I was reading a bunch of stuff. The thing you said that about wasn't Extreme Prejudice. It was. Uh, Southern Comfort. You said that that was the movie. You said that nobody in the in the world seemed to understand. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I'm. I don't think of myself as a lonely, misunderstood person. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've had a lucky well, career, and I'm I'm happy to still be here doing it. Yeah, no, I'm happy too. And I uh, I, I I one last thing about Extreme Prejudice for me, in terms of westerns or action movies in particular, I think that ending is the second best shootout ending since The Wild Bunch. And I think I just want to make sure that you knew that I, I thought that. Well, that's that's a that's a big compliment and I thank you for it. That's uh, yeah that's throwing me in there with the gods. Yeah, yeah. Sam, Sam which you know, I, that's a, that's a guy that was brilliant, but I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I think I've, I've gone over, but Mr. Hill, it's been an absolute honor to talk to you. I, I wish you the best of luck. I wish for more films and uh, hope everything keeps going well for you. Thank you, Brett. All I right. Thank you. You have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right, bye.